last Tuesday we went for an outing whale watching. Have you been whale watching? Brisbane is an excellent place to do that. There's usually humpback whales. They're very majestic. I was very uh, impressed. We got quite close. The closest we had them coming, I was maybe five meters away from his tail. They would dive under the boat. One of them would turn on its back and you could see the, the white belly. They can really see that they enjoy themselves. Now, what, what's the point on diving upside down? He seems to be doing it just for the fun of it. But as we saw the ocean and the giant beings which one can meet in the ocean, I felt reminded of a simile the Buddha would give. Because the Buddha would explain eight qualities of his own teaching, of his Dhamma Vinaya, and how they are similar to eight amazing and outstanding qualities in the great ocean. And so he's comparing the unusual, amazing features of the ocean, eight of them, with similar amazing features in Dhamma Vinaya. The Dhamma is a teaching of the Buddha, Vinaya is a discipline. And like for the monks keeping Patimokkha, for the lay community keeping the five precepts, as a basic discipline. And then uh, all the other practical guidelines and precepts. So what is the very first quality? That the great ocean does not you know, suddenly drop down very deep, but as in a gradual incline, it gets deeper gradually. And we could see that quite nicely on the boat. Now you see, we have this beautiful clear water here in Australia. So where the ground is still shallow in the ocean, you've got this very bright turquoise color and you can almost, you can actually see the ground. And then it is gradually gets deeper. You get into the deep water with a beautiful blue. And that is the same in the Buddha's teaching. Anupubha Sikha, it's a gradual training. It's important for us to keep that in mind because sometimes we may feel that we are still a long way from Nibbana. Now, how, how can I attain that? How can I attain a real profound samadhi? How I can possibly get these psychic powers and free my heart from any slightest trace of anger, greed, or delusion? It looks very daunting. You know what I mean? sitting all night meditating and all these distractions and kilesas coming up in the mind and how, how can I possibly do that? But the reason how one can do it is that it's a gradual training. It's not expected that we should be able to attain Nibbana today or tomorrow but it's a practice which goes over you know, years, decades, and often, quite frankly, you know, even lifetimes. But if you keep at it for years and decades and lifetimes, you know, then gradually what appears so difficult and daunting 
that can be achieved. So it's like if you are standing on the on the beach. Actually, we did that as well because Australia has got the great advantage that you can have a beach almost for yourself. As Buddhist monks, as it's usually not the best environment for us hanging out on the beach. People are not exactly dressed like in the monastery. But but in Australia, you can go to, to beaches and you're just alone there. You can just walk. I remember once with a friend who visited, we went to a beach further up the coast, Agnes Water. And we walked for a couple of hours and we didn't see a single person on either side within seven hours. <coughs> so we actually did walk on the beach and you get near your feet a little bit into the water. And it may be difficult to imagine if you stand there and the water goes to your ankle that this ocean can be 10 kilometers deep. But even if you start wading in there, only very gradually does does the depth increase? But if we go into a boat and we drive out far enough, and then the ocean actually can get that deep. It's even the same the way the Buddha is teaching on a Pupikata. When the Buddha is teaching, he usually doesn't start by Arupa Jhana and uh, seeing the impermanence of the five khandhas. And he first encourages people about generosity, about kindness. And then he talks about uh, rebirth, that we survive death, and what is called the mind or consciousness, and it goes to the next life, uh, according to our kama. And he talks about kama, explaining that helping and doing good things to others will have a happy result and that we can be reborn in different realms of existence. And then he talks about precepts, and he talks about sense restraint, about samadhi, and then about insight, knowledge, liberation, knowledge of liberation. is also, again, this very gradual teaching. So that's the first thing that we can compare under the ocean and the Dhamma and discipline of the Buddha. Uh, it comes very gradually. We progress gradually. We train ourselves step by step. But if we continue doing it long enough, uh, then the ocean can be very deep, very profound. The second quality is that the ocean uh, doesn't exceed a shoreline. The ocean stops at the shoreline. In fact, nowadays there's obviously concern that due to global warming, the ocean may exceed the shoreline. <laughs> but the concern is here exactly because normally the ocean doesn't do it, at least not in, in a human lifespans. In geological time spans, of course, the ocean is changing and where there are mountains now, there used to be ocean earlier. But what we can observe as human beings, the shoreline usually stays the same. And the Buddha said it's the same with his disciples. They will not 
exceed the shoreline, the boundary which the Buddha has set regarding their actions and speech. Because any true disciple of the Buddha never rather give their life than breaking any of the precepts uh, that the Buddha has stipulated. For the uh, monks and nuns, this is the Vatimokka rules. For a novice monk or nun, it would be another ten precepts. And people like to observe the eight precepts, and for that day when they make the determination, it is the eight precepts. And what is your shoreline? What is a boundary in lay life which you will not transgress even at the cost of your life? Yeah, the five precepts. And just like we are worried nowadays with global warming that the ocean may rise and that places like the Maldives or many of the South Sea Island, Tuvalu and so on, they may be completely flooded. That is a great danger when the ocean goes too high. Similarly, there's great danger if we transgress the precepts the Buddha has recommended for us. Whenever that happens, there can be huge devastation. So just like we want the ocean to stay within its shoreline, not to cause huge floods and drowning low-lying islands and low-lying parts of large countries. So similarly, we endeavor that we will not transgress a precept. The third quality of the ocean, which was acknowledged in the Buddha's time and which the Buddha compares, is that the ocean will not usually keep a corpse but a corpse will float and ultimately it will be washed ashore. We can see that with all kinds of jetsam, flotsam, what is floating around on the ocean at some stage and it will be washed ashore. You can find it there. This is why when people have a sea barrier, they usually put into a cloth and then there's a weight so that the body really goes, goes down due to the weight. Because else it would be just floating and may end up at some beach. And the Buddha said, no, similar in this Dhamma and discipline, now if a monk or a nun is really corrupt, then the ocean will not keep them, but will wash them ashore, and it will shed them. In fact, now this whole simile was given at that occasion. In the early days, the Buddha would recite the Pati Mokha himself. You may know that we have the duties as bhikkhus, as monks, that every fortnight for the full moon and the new moon days, oposatas, one par, if we have four or more monks, we have to recite the Patimokha, that is the 227 main words the Buddha has given for the bhikkhus. We're very lucky at Damagiri, we have three monks who can do it by heart, and <laughs> usually share it around. But in the early days, the Buddha stipulated these words and then he would recite them himself. But one day, just when he wanted to start, there was a completely corrupted monk there. Someone who was only having the external appearance of a monk wearing robes, but in his heart, completely corrupted with wrong view, with wrong intentions, and with lots of evil actions. 
baking all kinds of woods and he would just hide that so the Buddha wouldn't start the recitation. And every couple of hours, and they're just sitting there meditating, every couple of hours when the Ananda would invite the Buddha, can you please bond if you already, if it pleases you, could you recite the Bhatimokha and the Buddha wouldn't do it. And in the end, when the Mahamokalana, with his psychic powers, he checked out the mind of all the monks and he found that one who is only a fake monk and who is corrupted and evil. And he grabbed him by the arm and just guided him out and then he locked the door. But then the Buddha said, it's impossible for the Tathagata to recite Pati Mukha to an impure assembly. And then he instituted that from that time on the monks had to recite it themselves. But on this occasion he gave the simile of the great ocean and one feature is that the great ocean will not tolerate that corpse but will wash it ashore. So similar to the Dhammavinya will not tolerate a fake and evil and corrupted monk or nun when they commit Pavajika, they will be expelled, they are no longer a monk or a nun. And that holds even if no one knows about it except for themselves. Now they may be still wearing robes, but internally they are already expelled. Now they are far away, even if they are sitting there with the other monks or nuns. The next quality of the great ocean is that there are so many huge rivers which are flowing in the ocean. Now whether it's the Amazon or the Nile, whether it's the Congo or the Mekong or the Yellow River or whatever great rivers they are. And once they flow into the ocean, they lose their name. You don't distinguish the water anymore, isn't it? If you go swimming in the great ocean, can you distinguish whether it's water from the Murray River or from the Nile or from the Ganges? No, no. Once it flows into the ocean, it's just reckoned to be ocean water. So similarly, when anyone ordains as a bhikkhu or as a nun, they lose their previous social status, their previous national background, their previous class, their previous ethnic background, it doesn't matter. And you can see that in the Sangha, in particular in our Sangha here, the Western Sangha of Ajahn Chah, there's very in a wide range of different backgrounds. You can see it also in our community. And it's the same for the lay community. If we really practice Dhamma, we are all fellow Dhamma farmers. It's no longer a question of whether you are Australian or Thai or Sri Lankan or Vietnamese, or German, or Austrian, or whatever. We are all Dhamma practitioners. We are all those who have faith in the Triple Gem and who practice the teaching of the Buddha. And of course, in particular, once someone ordains, it doesn't matter whether you were a professor or whether you were a high school dropout. If the high school dropout ordained earlier, the professor is a junior now, and he has the power. 
We don't put our titles. You know, if you had an accounting degree or medical qualifications, you don't put that behind your monk's name anymore. It's not like no, Ajandamasiya CPRQA or something like that. <laughs> but this is all gone. It doesn't matter whether your parents were rich or poor. It doesn't matter whether you are Caucasian or African or Southeast Asian or Indian or Chinese or Eskimo or indigenous, Aborigine, whatever. And it is completely irrelevant as long as we are practicing the Dhamma Vinaya. That's the only thing that counts. And for monks or nuns, it's simply the age of seniority which determines who works first and who bows. Well, that is another great quality of the ocean. The next one is that although all these rivers are flowing into the ocean, and all the cyclones and hurricanes and so on, they're raining into the ocean. Does it mean that the ocean is now overflowing? It's quite amazing. If you have your sink in the kitchen or your bathing tub, you put the plug in and then you open, at some stage it will overflow. But the ocean, although all these gigantic rivers are flowing in there, never overflows. So similar... Although, since the Buddha started teaching, many monks and nuns and even many lay people have attained Nibbana. They have liberated their heart from all defilements. They have overcome greed, hatred and delusion. And they have freed their heart and they have attained Nibbana. But Nibbana doesn't overflow or change because of that. The Nibbana element the Amatadatu, although they're all attaining that, you know, it doesn't become bigger or it doesn't become less if less people attain. If less people attain, there's no difference. So that's another quality. Or the rivers flow into the ocean, but the ocean it doesn't become higher or lower or overflowing. So all these disciples of the Buddha are attaining the Nibbana element without remainder at Pabi Nibbana when they lie down their body. But the Nibbana element doesn't become bigger or more expensive. The next quality is that the great ocean anywhere in the world, whether you're here at the Pacific Ocean, or you're at uh, India, Thailand, Sri Lanka at the Indian Ocean, or you're in the South China Sea, East China Sea, or even the North Sea at Germany, the Atlantic, America. There's only one taste to the ocean, only one flavor. What does ocean water taste like? Salty. Right? And that's the same everywhere. The Atlantic tastes salty, the Pacific Ocean tastes salty, the Mediterranean tastes salty, 
So very similarly, there is only one real flavor, one taste to the whole Dhamma and Vinaya. All that you are doing, even if you start with generosity, and go on to precepts, and then start in the meditating, developing samadhi, and developing wisdom, insight, knowledge. There's just one taste to it. Does anyone know? What does the Dhamma really taste like? Release, freedom, liberation. The precepts are not there to confine you, to imprison you, they're there to liberate you. <laughs> Generosity is not there to give you a burden. Generosity is not that we free our heart, like we free our heart from stinginess when we give. We liberate our heart from evil action when we keep precepts. When we deliver our heart from all kinds of distractions when we practice sense restraint. We release our heart from sensuality when we practice samadhi. And we free our heart from all fetters and attachments when we practice the wisdom and insight. So it's good to keep that in mind and never make your Dhamma practice in the, like a heavy burden. It's all about freedom, liberation, release. Next thing, there's many valuable things in the ocean like pearls and uh, shells and the gold, silver. And nowadays, probably it's not so much the pearls, but it's more like you know, the, the oil and the gas. <laughs> There's more money in oil and gas in the ocean. This is why they have these huge drilling platforms and so expensive, you know, but the oil and gas, and there's even more money. There's all these invaluable treasure and resources in the ocean. And similar in this Dhamma and discipline of the Buddha, you know, there's all these precious jewels with the four foundations of mindfulness, the four right efforts, the four itipada, you know, the four pathways to power or success, you know, the five spiritual faculties, the five spiritual powers, the seven factors of enlightenment, you know, the noble eightfold path, what is known as the Bodhipakyadama. Now this is the resources even more valuable than the biggest you know, oil field or gas field which can be found in the Dhamma. And finally, you can have very big creatures in the ocean. And we witnessed that on Tuesday. I mean, I knew that whales are big. <laughs> We know that, we can read that on Wikipedia. But if you're standing on the boat and the fellow is a few meters away from you and, and just you know, the tail fluke is as big as a human, then one has a stronger impression of that. And there will be even bigger beings you know, which we can't see with our normal eyesight. You know, the, the Nagas, the dragons, and other spirit beings you know, who live in the ocean. 
and there are no huge but even the ones we can't see, you know, the biggest is the blue whale, second biggest I think is you know, the sperm whale. What we saw, the humpback whale, is uh, something like, I think they quote to 16, 17 meters. So similar, we have great creatures in the Dhamma and Vinaya. Did you ever go whale watching, so to speak, in Damavinia? And if it's so impressive and it's so beautiful and inspiring to see these gigantic whales, what are the great creatures in Damavinia? Yeah, no, the Amahans, the ones who have realized the Dhamma, the great Kubajans, starting with the Buddha, who was the greatest Naga the most powerful and biggest, so to speak, in terms of greatness due to wisdom, insight, liberation, knowledge. But then there's other great beings, the Kubajans, this is why we put the, the photos there, because it's so inspiring to meet them. They're not big in body. In fact, quite a few of these great Ajans, Ajan Man, I think, was quite short by stature, and so are many others, but no, their mind is vast and is amazing. And if people are willing to make the effort, pay the money to go away watching, it's even a thousand times more worth the money and effort to go, to associate Upasankamati, Prayurupasati, to approach, to visit, to get close, to hang out with the great Kubajans, to receive teachings from them, even just to bow, to up, to see them, pay respects, to be able to receive some teachings. Because these are the great beings which you can find in the teaching of the Buddha. Now the ones who have attained stream entry or are practicing to do so, the ones who have attained, once returning or are practicing to do so, the ones who have attained anagamita, non-returning, or those who practice to do so, and the ones who have attained full liberation, nibbana, or who are on the path of practicing to realize it. My wish is that you all, we all, and uh, humanity at large can take as much delight in the Dhamma, at least as I take delight in the ocean. People love going to the ocean. <laughs> Even if there's coronavirus and the lockdowns, there were all these photos you may remember, how they're all hanging out on the beach. Because it's so beautiful to go to the ocean. But the qualities in the Dhamma now are much more profound. Now, this is a simile, and the qualities of the ocean are already quite amazing. But of course, now the comparison, the metaphorical qualities in the Dhamma, now they're much more profound. And if people are willing to spend so much effort and have so much joy in reveling in the ocean, 
Maybe you should take even greater pleasure, even more dedication, even more time in, in reveling in the Dhamma. Okay, so a few words on the ocean comparing with the Dhamma. And I'd like to open up for any questions, any discussion. As monks, it's always a bit complicated bathing in the ocean with ropes and so on. So if I go to the beach, I only just dabble a little bit, so to speak, and just getting the feet a little bit wet. But someone who really enjoys the water sports would probably just laugh at me, isn't it? <laughs> There's more you can do with the ocean than just getting your feet wet when you walk on the beach. And people who like scuba diving or diving with equipment or sailing, they would just smile at me. So what is your approach to the Dhamma? Do you stay away completely from the Dhamma or do you only go there and maybe just the toe a little bit? Once a year, maybe in Katina season, once a year to the monastery and quickly offering some food and then quickly leaving and not coming in for the Dhamma talk is too long. <laughs> this is just like going to the beach and just dabbling a little bit. Now, but the Dhamma is very deep and once you have the courage and you start going really into the ocean, you notice that you can swim and you can sail for thousands of miles. You can dive very deep, deeper than anyone can dive because it's so profound. So do a little bit more than just putting the toe in. <laughs> it's good fun to go fully into it. You don't have to be afraid because it's gradually. Monica. Yes, I do. So Malika is now further uh, expanding the simile. And when the Buddha gives these similes, what he explains, we shouldn't take that as exhaustive. And each of these examples you give, you can often expand on that. And of course, if you're creative, you can find out a few more qualities. And I agree, you can compare maybe the, the waves to some teaching of impermanence. Just like you can find waves in the ocean, so you can find the teaching of impermanence in the Dhamma. What comes to my mind is, is just the sheer depth. You know, like the ocean is so deep. And so to me, you know, the Dhamma is so profound. And even with the clearest water, like we are lucky to have here in Australia, you know, although it's perfectly clear, you know, the ocean is so deep, you, know, you can't see the ground anymore. So similar, the Dhamma is so clear and so lucidly explained by the Buddha. But even then, if you don't have the deep wisdom yet, and it's so deep, you may still not be able to see it. So if you can't understand the teaching of the Buddha yet, it's not because it's murky or muddy, it's perfectly clear, but 
this was so deep and profound that one needs profound wisdom to comprehend it. Malika mentions now a tsunami. Even that we can maybe expand on that simile. And if you are in a sailing in the Dhamma and you meet some of these great beings and they give you a profound Dhamma teaching that can blow you away, just like a tsunami can blow you away. <laughs> Did you ever get a Dhamma teaching which was really blowing you away? And have fun. I think this is one simile which I would expand. The ocean is really fun, particularly in Australia. And everyone goes there to enjoy themselves. So please do that with the Dhamma. Dive into the Dhamma and enjoy yourself. Just like they go to the ocean for uh, surfing and windsurfing and paragliding and they're having the time of their life. Even more, you have the time of your life if you go into the ocean of Dhamma. <laughs> 